Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing all right. <laughs> um, so this is Ryan. Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? What are you doing up here? <laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Ryan, and I am a grateful recovering addict. Man, this is pretty, it's pretty emotional if you're already. We haven't even started. Jen's probably outside laughing at me already. Oh, no, she's back there laughing at me. Laughing at you already. <laughs> uh, so we'll, I guess, start right in the beginning. Uh, we want to talk about fear. Uh, we listened to a song about fear, but could you just tell me and kind of your own version of what you've learned or what you know fear is? Putting it bluntly, I think fear is Satan's perfect way of manipulating us into living his lifestyle instead of God's. It'll rob you of everything that you dreamed of. It'll rob you of anything you can think of. It will make you do things that you know is wrong. Um, it will just alter everything in your life away from God's, God's will. Hmm. That, was, that was beautiful. I think my favorite definition of fear I ever heard was from Dallas Willard. When he said fear was the anticipation of evil, that that's, what consu- that's when it consumes your mind. When you think something terrible is going to win, when something terrible is going to seize the day and take place, it just uh, cripples you and everything's like that. So that's a little bit of what uh, fear is in our context. And um, What are some of the fears you experienced that you kind of dove into uh, back in the beginning for your journey? When did fear kind of start to run the show? Um, I'd have to say it really started back when I was 15 with um, losing my best friend and another friend back-to-back, losing another best friend and my grandpa couple years later I immediately developed a fear of commitment and love because I didn't want anybody getting close enough to me to lose them again Um, I was afraid of pain because I didn't want to feel it I didn't want to feel the hurt of losing anything or whatever and I got introduced to a drink and I noticed immediately that my fear was gone it numbed it but I also didn't pay attention to the fact that it numbed me from everything else that I was supposed to be doing according to God's will throughout my life Hmm. so here you are this journey begins 15 uh, trying to avoid pain where did that take you? (laughs) um It took me down a almost 30-year, really ugly path of hurting many people, hurting myself, destroying opportunities that God put right in my lap. I would take them, I would run with them for a little bit, I would trash them. Um, Anytime I would accumulate anything, I would burn it to the ground and lose it. 
it turned me into it turned me into a master manipulator just like Satan wanted me to be and for many years I could get just about anybody to do anything that I wanted and if they wouldn't do it I was going to find somebody that would just for my glory give me what I want I don't care about you you're not going to get close enough to hurt me but I'm going to walk away with what I want um, it just caused a massive destruction everywhere mm. uh, so I know when you and I were talking earlier you kind of talked about how uh, the lights kind of flickered off can you tell me a little bit about that when did it go dark I think they were flickering, I think it was when I came back from the military, really, really, um, because that's when I knew that I, I had an opportunity to serve, and I manipulated my way out of that because I couldn't handle the discipline, and my excuse was, you know, I didn't like them telling me how to fold my, you know, roll my underwear and socks in, the, in position. Um, but I think they just started going off then because I, I realized but wouldn't admit that I was ruining just beautiful opportunities that God gave me and I stopped caring um, I didn't it's not that I wanted to die at that point but I just didn't want to I didn't care I didn't have any heart left um, and then I ended up moving up here in, in uh, 2000. We thought it was a good opportunity for me to... I still was not admitting that I was an addict at that point. I did not have a problem with drinking. I just needed to do the geographical change. You know, find some new friends and whatever. Well, what did I do? I went to work in a city that had giant beer cans as one of their landmarks. Um, yeah. And uh, I think within the first week, I was already going out drinking with, with the guys from work, you know. And um, I started hurting my brother at that point by lying and manipulating and blowing all my money on alcohol and letting him pay all the bills. And um, then I ended up falling in love with an enabling individual. Um, ran along the lines for the next 13, 13 years, um, not realizing that I was in love with her enabling, not her. Um, and that just led me further and further and further into using alcohol to hide from everything that my, my mess. My mess kept getting bigger, so I was drinking more, and it got to the point where my body had to have it or it would shut down hmm. so here we are doing this now for decades almost three decades body shutting down um, destructive trail behind you uh, but what was what was kind of rock bottom because you were still flying through all that you know plowing straight ahead keep cruising no matter what 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 did you hit that made you just kind of woke you up? When did something flicker? What did I hit? I hit the floor at Walmart. Literally. Um, this is where I believe 
God finally stepped in and said enough's enough. Um, I ran out of alcohol about 4 o'clock in the morning, knew that I had to go get some more, so I waited for my enabler to go to work. I called a cab. I also had to pick up a prescription, so I had to go to Walmart and the liquor store. My normal way to go would be the alcohol, but I went to Walmart first, and I ended up falling out from withdrawals and ended up waking up in the hospital a few days later, being in a coma for an induced coma for, I think, three days. And I woke up, and that's when I could see some light. Mm-hmm. So you wake up from this coma. Where do, where do you where do you go from there? Somebody who's burned his bridges, um, somebody who's hurt a lot of people, and you're just recognizing what's starting to happen. Where'd you go from there? I said help. I asked for help. They had mentioned uh, in the hospital. We looked at you know some of your records from how many times you've been in here. We recommend maybe doing some AA meetings, maybe do some outpatient treatment. And at that point, I didn't say it. God said it. I said, no, I can't do that because if you send me home to do outpatient stuff, I'm going to be drunk every time I go. I need to go. I need to go. And I asked to go to Marco, which was an inpatient residential. And she looked at me like I was nuts because she said they never heard anybody volunteer to go there um, but like I said at that point that that was God telling her what I needed to say because I couldn't say it because fear was still running my life at that point I was scared to death to go to treatment but God said I don't care if you're scared of it or not you're going to go because I'm going to tell them that you want to go So you end up going to treatment? And what did you start learning? What did God start speaking to you in this time? That was my first glimmer of hope. That was when the reality of everything... I'm grateful that they're here today because that's when the reality of Hilo was actually brought up as a Christian. My parents, all of their words started smacking me in the face and... Um, God started allowing me to be able to see what they were trying to teach me, the way that they were trying to guide me. And he finally showed me that you have an opportunity today to leave that stuff behind. I will take care of it. You can move forward and do something better. Okay. So what's next? So did it all become sunshine and rainbows? or Absolutely not. <laughs> If there was sunshine and rainbows, I don't want to see any more of them. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) No, I I actually spent the next roughly five years um, up and down in recovery. Um, I tried going recovery straight. I tried going all faith-based. And I I kept falling down. Something would happen, whether it was good or bad, and I would crash and burn. I just, I couldn't grab on to anything until April Fool's Day, ironically. I think God really does have a sense of humor. April Fool's Day of 2018, I had relapsed again. I was in the homeless shelter for men up in Manitowoc. And I knew I was doing the wrong thing by drinking, but I thought I was actually going to finally do the right thing and not drive. So I took my house, my truck, and I parked it at a park and ride 
in Manitowoc by Perkins and parked it. It's like, I'm not going to drive tonight. Well, I ended up falling asleep and somebody called for basically a welfare check and they found the keys in the ignition and I got another OWI and I walked out of jail the next day and said, I only want one of two things. I either don't want to be here anymore or I need to go back to the thing that I've been running from since I was 15 with my ink towards, towards God. And God gave me the strength to go see Pastor Chris from Connections Church up in Manitowoc and tell him I needed help and this is the direction I want to go. What was it like facing that fear from age 15 coming back at you? It's kind of hard to explain that part of it um, because I think God just guided me in such a powerful way that he helped like make that disappear because I finally was putting my faith in him I was finally trusting that he could actually do something good with me regardless of what I had done um, at that point he just gave me strength to all out go get it um, something happened with my medication uh, two months after I came down here and it ended up putting me in jail for fighting against another OWI but that was the biggest blessing I could have ever had from him he put me in front of Chaplain Rick with the jail ministries for the next 10 months and I busted my butt working on recovery step work and reading the Bible and working with Chaplain Rick combining my faith and recovery together and I built an amazing relationship with Chaplain Rick who is one of my best friends today and he led me to T-Box which is now Stepping Stone and gave me a bed there when I got out hmm. uh, for uh, a lot of us who've never gone through uh, uh, some recovery work and things like that what are some of the things you learn and go through as you go through some of that work and you're reading the Bible? What are some of the things you learn about yourself um, or questions you got to face when you go through that kind of work? Going, going through the step work, part of it is um, learning what your character defects are. Fear tried to creep in at that point again, too, because I didn't want to know all of them. You know, I, at first I could write down a list of like three obvious ones, but... God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, no, there's a lot more. <laughs> and that actually led me to Galatians, where I got to see the, the fruit of the Spirit, but the opposite side of that as well. And holy man, did my list get big. Um, but at the same time, he just he worked magic as far as that goes and just laid it right out in front of me, like, okay, here's a character defect of yours, but here's a spiritual principle that can... You do the opposite. You know, you're doing bad here, but use this spiritual principle to replace it. And it just like immediately started teaching me how to convert from the thing that Satan was having me live as to the individual that God wanted me to be. Mm. That's awesome. So here you are, you're learning all this stuff for about 
10 months. Uh, you get out, you find a safe place to live. Um, and what's, walk us kind of from there to kind of now. Uh, not, I know that's not a quick journey, but uh, how did you go from, all right, I'm starting from the bottom, I'm working my way up to uh, now you are the director of the ministry itself. How did, how did that happen? Well, <laughs> that definitely was all God. Um, trust and faith and giving back. One thing that I learned in recovery, it, in, in NA, they always say it, we can only keep what we have by giving it away. The things that God were, was giving me, I was immediately giving back. I was offering to other people. I was showing other people. I was feeding it back to them. And it, that, every time I would do that, it would just grow within me. Mm. And the opportunities to get from laying in a bed at T-Box to being the director of now Stepping Stone, it was just, it was really fast. It was just crazy. But it was just nonstop, step after step that was put in front of me. Um, however, I also had to use my own, I had to learn the self-control of the fruit of the Spirit, and he was allowing that to come through because there were opportunities that were put in front of me that my old selfish self was saying, yes, I want it, I want it, I want it. But I would stop, and I would sit back, and I would wait and let God actually bring it to me for the team that used to run things with T-Box to actually come to me and say, hey, Ryan, would you like to be a check-in guy? To go check in on the guys, just go in, say hi, whatever. And I would say yes. And then I found out that the, the uh, check-in coordinator, which is another good friend of mine in recovery, was stepping down because he was moving to Milwaukee. And my selfish self was starting to tickle, like, ooh, I want that, I want that spot. And I shut my mouth. And I just kind of waited until the team kind of offered it to me, and then I took that. And then I ended up building a very good relationship with Michael um, while he was running things there. And he laid another opportunity in my lap with changes that occurred. And man, did I want it. I wanted it bad. And again, I just, I trusted God that if I was supposed to get it, it would come to me, and all of a sudden it was there. There was a thing, a situation that came up outside of here um, where I actually reached out to my dad, somebody that I trust greatly, for advice. And it was his words along with Pastor Chris in... Manitowoc that I knew it was God talking to me when they told me you need to do this and that's what I did and that's why I'm sitting here doing what I do today and continuing to give back and trying to change lives, save mm -hmm. lives so quite a several decade journey of running from fear embracing fear uh, now you get to be an advocate for people who are going through a similar journey, which you've been. Uh, can you tell me about what it's some of the ministry, uh, some of the opportunities that you get 
uh, running Stepping Stone? What are the people you get to interact with? Uh, what are some of the stories that uh, you get to hear or be a part of? I get to meet people just like me. And I get to actually see the fear on their face when they walk in that I used to feel. And one thing that I love doing today when I'm doing an intake for these guys is sitting there letting them know that it wasn't very long ago that I was sitting in the same seat, signing the same paperwork, and getting ready to lay in the same beds as them. And I kind of tell them a little bit about my story, about my beautiful wife that I met here, the beautiful boy that I've got, the awesome family that I have now, um, and just telling them how awesome God really is and the fact that just give it up, surrender. Don't fight that stuff anymore. You're finally in a safe place. You have the opportunity to start over and just making sure that they know that we're there for them. So you get to work with guys who have been battling fear their whole life, um, running and burnt a lot of bridges all, all the time and really this is uh, the last safe spot they kind of have for themselves. Is that kind of right? Yeah. Yeah, it's either that or they go back to the drug dealer's house or the, the using house that they were living in because when I got out of jail, I literally had nowhere to go because I burnt all of my bridges. I mean, everything. I couldn't even go back to Salvation Army because I got out of jail too early to surpass my one year from when I was there before. You know, so it was going to be back to living in my truck, but I couldn't do that either because they ended up taking that away from me while I was in jail. So it was going to be, instead of burning bridges, going sleeping underneath them. Mm. Um, but that's, that's what these guys are dealing with, and there's women out there too as well that have done the same thing, and they have to put themselves in very, very dangerous, sick, and evil places because that's all we have left to sleep in. Mm. Uh, so not a whole lot of hope, not a whole lot of uh, places for people to go find hope in uh, when they're in that situation. So um, when you hear about Stepping Stone, when you hear about what, that growing that ministry, what's all going on there, that is literally bringing hope to the people who are lost, who are down to their last, I got nothing left to give, got nothing left to do. Um, and we had awesome, brave people like Ryan leading that charge and saying, there's still hope. There's still a second chance. There's still that opportunity. But if we back it up to kind of some of that fear of, um, I think all of us have fear. Uh, sometimes we kind of joke like fear. Everyone has a fear of public speaking. I mean, yeah. here you are yet still up on here. I know you do. But uh, we all have different fear. And, you know, we can be silly from clowns to um, letting people see the real you, uh, afraid of uh, losing your spouse, afraid of losing a job, afraid of people getting to know what's really going on inside of you, that you'd be seen as a fake, a phony. I think all of us have experienced that sometime in their life. Uh, if someone's wrestling through a fear yet, and it's not quite uh, as big as running the show, uh, what would you want to tell that person? As they're just beginning that battle with that fear, that they're beginning that battle uh, with something they're wrestling through, what would you uh, invite them to? For me, I, I like to just 
again, I try to refer to my my life and just try and explain to them the difference between living in the fear or trusting God and letting them know that if you trust him, he will take that fear away. It will go away and you will be able to do things that you never dreamed of. I mean, just... I want to. I, I try to let them know and understand that it, it is possible. It is real, as far as the elimination of fear. It is very real. I hated speaking in front of people before, and now I have people at recovery meetings. When I start to talk, they'll start tapping their watch as soon as I start talking. Um, but I, I, I really did go from an introvert to an extrovert because of the elimination of fear. You know, the ability to be able to share my story with others came from the elimination of fear that God gave me. And I tried to help people see that. Mm. So engaged with it. That was really good. Um, but if I have a, a coworker, maybe a cousin, somebody I know, and they're an addict, they're, they're in pretty deep. Um, you know, uh, do I just tell them... Hey, you're battling fear. Just let it go, and you'll stop drinking. Is that gonna work? I mean, uh, if if I have uh, if I come across somebody and and I know they're an addict, and this is a battle going on, uh, how do I approach that situation? Do I just, you know, uh, how do I engage with that person? How do I um, let them know I'm here to help? <sighs> There's a lot of different ways. Um, the situation is is so different. Um, there are things that are taught to us in regards to taking pamphlets or flyers or even a recovery book and placing it in a spot where they would see it planting seeds Um, sometimes it is a matter of cutting them off That that is one huge thing that as much as we love the individuals and I know this because I manipulated my own mother into enabling me for a long time I manipulated that that woman that I was with for 13 years to enable me but sometimes the best way to help them is to cut them off don't feed them with don't listen to them that they need money or whatever Um, there's a point where you, you have to basically force them to stand up for themselves and ask for help but at the same time it's just trying to find ways to show them that there is help out there there's a lot of us because we're so stinking scared we can't see that there's opportunities out there for help Mm. Um, and no don't tell them that they're battled that you're just scared (laughs) Um, yeah that would be bad would tell you, no, I'm not scared of anything, and then they'd take off running. But um, like I said, answering that question is, is so huge because mm-hmm. there's so many different... It's just it's hard to, to say. But, uh, you know, I know one of the biggest things is... Uh, or two of the biggest things is somehow showing them that there's help out there, but also cutting off the enabling factor to where they have to they don't have anything left but to say I need help mm. uh, and working with 
people in recovery. Um, how often do you have to go back and reface the fears that you've battled? Um, I think a lot of times um, uh, someone who uh, is not super familiar with addicts or stuff like that, this, that it just kind of, uh, you know, what you don't know usually you're afraid of. And I don't always understand it. So can you tell me about, as you work with people, what is that uh, battle like? Do you have to reface your fears do you have to be kind of a transparent, transparent person to really engage with people like that? <laughs> yes. The transparency, the honesty, the integrity is, is huge. Um, and that actually helps me really never have to deal with it. Um, one thing that I've learned is that sharing my feelings, sharing my thoughts immediately lightens the load mm. and it immediately offers me God's windows of the help that I need. Um, Jen has learned that no matter what's going on in my life, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to talk about it. Sometimes she might fall asleep on me or tell me to shut up because I've been talking too long, but that, that's been a huge thing for me. God has given me the opportunity to be honest and just say, I don't like this person at work. They're being annoying. But just saying something like that immediately gives me the opportunity to talk about it, understand the fact that, you know, in that kind of a situation, I don't know what they're going through at home. I don't know if they're hurting or, or whatever the case is and start to understand that I'm not supposed to be angry with them. I'm not supposed to dislike them. I need to act as I'm supposed to, the way God taught me to, to be, so that they can see that and they can see they see the hope. They see the light. Mm. Um, but the transparency is, is huge. It helps me eliminate building up any fears. Mm. Let it out and trust that if I let it out, God's going to show me a way to make it through whatever it is that was just put in front of me. Mm. That's good. Does anybody here struggle with transparency? Because I know I do. Does anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you amaze me, Ryan, with how you do that, uh, how you engage with people, and the bravery and the courage you show. Um, to run into different situations you go into, the amount that you uh, trust God and, and how you've built your relationship with Him. Truly incredible. I just want to say thank you for sharing that.